the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. As we do every Thursday, we check in with my candidate for city council running in Phoenix City Council District 6. He is Sam Stone. His website is samstone.vote. He um, also has his own radio show, heard from this station as well, every Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. So it's called Breaking Battlegrounds. It's a great show. Maybe we'll talk about one of his more recent guests. Kind of interesting. But uh, ballots uh, are either in the mail or already voted and sent out in the mail. Sam, how you doing? How's uh, it feeling? We're, we're feeling really good. I, there's been a lot of energy, a lot of intensity. I've never seen a volunteer effort like the one we're getting on a race like this. I mean, quite frankly, I you know, I've worked a lot of big races, statewide races, and they don't have the kind of volunteer support we're getting where we're getting 15, 20 people coming out three, four times a week. Um, different people obviously rotating through, but it's been amazing. And a lot of the folks from this show who are listening to this show right now have been coming in and pitching in, which has been phenomenal. Um, one of the great things we have at two nights a week at our office, we're doing hand addressing letters uh, to the voters. It's a hand signed letter that I did. And then voters help me by hand addressing or, or volunteers help me by hand addressing the envelopes. I got a text message uh, forwarded to me from someone I knew in Ahwatukee who said, Hey, I just got this from one of my neighbors. I wanted to pass it on. Um, this was the woman who sent it was a former police officer and said, Hey, I was going to vote for, for Kevin Robinson because he's a former cop also, but we got this letter from Sam. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've never gotten a letter like that. And I thought it was wonderful. And I looked at it, you know, and then went on his website and did this and checked it out. And now I'm switching my vote. I'm definitely, oh, wow. my family and I are all going to vote for Sam. Um, so they're having a huge impact, these volunteers. They're getting it done. Um, we have tons of people out walking doors. I mean, literally every day, Jamie, uh, my campaign manager, and I are looking at the the digital system we use to track it. And we'll we'll open it up, you know, mid-afternoon, and, and there's a thousand doors have been knocked on. Uh, and we're not even out there organizing it. They're just going in, using the app, doing it on their own in their neighborhoods, hitting those doors of their neighbors. It's amazing. Um, if you don't have your ballot yet, you're going to probably want to go in on March 14th and cast a ballot in person. Um, we have heard some reports of people not getting their early ballots, but you can go in March 14th. You can actually go in the 11th, 13th, and 14th. Um, and there are, are vote centers. You can find that on my website if you want to find the nearest one, samstone.vote. Just go there. We'll hook you up. Um, but you know what? This race, that he has way more money, and I have way more volunteers, and I'm going to put it on the volunteers and the people, and I think we're going to pull it off. That's great, Sam. You know, Aristotle says that the character of a people is sometimes shaped by the character of their leader, and your energy has probably inspired so much of the energy in all your volunteers. I know you're doing 14, 15, and 16-hour days. I haven't seen anyone I haven't seen anyone who knows the city so well, and I haven't seen anyone who has worked so hard as you have. I, I, I have reached the point of utter exhaustion. I get home at the end of the night. I flop directly into bed. My cat is furious at this point because <laughs> he's getting no love. Um, but you know what? You, you get up fired up to do it again 
and quite frankly, the fact that all these people are coming out, I don't, I still don't even consider myself a leader, Seth. I mean, I'm just a guy who loves his city and, and wants to try to make it better and, and not go down the road. Some of these big coastal cities or all of them have gone down. Um, but boy, is it inspiring and humbling. Well, we need you as a leader. I mean, the city of Phoenix is kind of at a, on a fulcrum right now. It's kind of at a tipping point. We have one of your supporters in town, uh, in the Phoenix area in studio with us. We all kind of live, she and I kind of live in a generally similar neighborhood. And uh, I think she would nod her head if I said we're already even noticing certain things changing in this fairly fairly nice, decent neighborhood that we didn't used to see. My morning runs are just... I see people sleeping on the sidewalks that I didn't used to see, and I'm sure, yeah, you know, nodding the, your head. The explosion, it's, it's and, and you and I have talked about it, but the fentanyl yep. and the, the power of the methamphetamines that's coming into this country now, totally different than it was 10 years ago. These drugs have been massively upgraded over what used to be available. Upgraded, I, I hate even using sure. that word. I mean, they've been made massively worse, more dangerous. And the impacts are just, they're devastating. And then you combine that with a housing crisis, housing prices, pushing people onto the streets. You can't – we've got to start going after these problems in a holistic way, and we're not doing that. We, we Politicians give a lot of lip service to it, but no one wants to look at the fact that it's taking a developer four years to put a shovel in the ground to build, a, to build an apartment building. I mean that's never going to be affordable because the carry costs just to get there drive up the price of every unit by 20 30 percent. I was giving a talk the other day, I'm sure it's in District 6, so up uh, roughly 17th Avenue in Glendale. I'm sure that's... That's, that's right. So that may be just over the line into Fair District enough. 3, but, it but, might it's, be, our, but it's close enough. District yeah. 6 adjacent, if not District 6. And they had asked me to come in to talk about the chronic homeless problem in that area known as the zone that starts at roughly 9th Avenue in Jefferson. The question they kept asking again and again and again was... Why can't something be done about it? Why can't something be done about it? To which you say what's Well, something can be done about it, but uh, political leaders in every city across the country have made a big mistake. They look at a ruling out of the Ninth Circuit, uh, Martin versus Boise, uh, which said you cannot do anything to criminalize common aspects of street homelessness unless you have a bed, a shelter bed in your community for them. It doesn't mean you need a standalone apartment, a house, you know, whatever. You need to have a shelter bed space. And the the cities, frankly, have been using that as an excuse not to do anything to enforce homelessness because there's this sort of underlying attitude that if someone's down and out, we shouldn't do anything to make their life worse, mm-hmm. including bring the criminal justice system down on them. Now, I don't want to make their life worse, but you and I know from talking to people like Jeff Taylor at the Salvation mm-hmm. Army, people who've been doing this for a long time, that oftentimes the best way to get someone off of drugs into mental health care, into drug treatment, into physical treatment, begins with the criminal justice system. I wish we had a different way, but the Supreme Court has really limited us on involuntary commitments, right? Because you go back the 1950s, where, you know, previous to that, sure. we're kind of a horror house and all those things. Well, we reacted, but and we've reacted right. in a way that's making it really hard to get people the help they need. I'm big on diversion and having ways to expunge people's records. Sure. Of these minor crimes, yep. once they get in, get clean, get treatment, yep. get focused, and and we can look. We're, we're a pioneer. Arizona is actually a pioneer yeah. on doing that. We uh, we can we can give you if you're busted on drugs, we can clean your record for the first two or three times. Yeah, and I would I would happily add all the the other you know loitering right. and all the other things that would go in there. Um, I think that's a great thing for us to be doing, but that's that's where we have to go. It's got to be tough love. It can't just be enabling people to live on the street and continue this because, look. If you're out there, you're dying. 
It, yeah, it dying. is a cruelty it's, it's that we cruelty. are allowing to fester. You know, you may see a drowning person who wants to resist you when you try and save them, but it's your kind of duty to save them even though they will resist well, you. The crimes that we talk about, they're committing them against each other. The assaults, the yeah. rapes, the arson, they are each other's first target. It's not you or me or anyone outside of the zone. They are each other's first when target. When people commit crime, they almost always commit it against people who look like and live like them. Right. I mean, it, it, I mean, in every category from the very wealthiest uh, parts of sure. our society all the way down. Sure. When people are committing crimes, they most often are doing it against people who are a lot like them. I, um, I, was, I was thinking about this in the context of some of these questions I was getting the other day. We lost, um, I guess, a uh, little under a month ago, that famous uh, musician David Crosby from Crosby, Stills & Nash, who had a terrible drug problem and was once asked how it was that uh, he got over it. And he said, I never saw the light until I saw the law. In other words, if you go to a 12-step meeting, I'm a big supporter of 12-step meetings. If you go to a 12-step meeting, I mean, it will depend on the city. It will depend on the group in the area. But if you go, at least half the room is there because of a court order. Yeah, and and it may not take – that treatment may not take the first time. And right. you, may, you may end up having to go back and back and back. But do what any – Societally, we should be doing what any responsible clinician would tell you to do, which is not enable a drug habit. That's what it is. It's enabling. But, but, you know, really intervene and keep intervening until the person gets well. Um, Because you're not – when you're in that state, you're not capable of making a good decision. No, and it's – and and the problem I was kind of referring to yesterday slightly in the context of when you allow a problem to sit – it doesn't stay there. It will grow. You know, we have ignored fentanyl for so long. I was interviewing an expert on it about a mo- two months ago. Remember this bill, David Murray? And he was saying, well, we're seeing this. If you think fentanyl's bad, wait till you guys see Trank. And I said, Trank. Oh. And he said, well, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a horse tranquilizer that is now taking the, city, the streets of Philadelphia. And it's now in Delaware. And I just read two weeks ago. Four people overdosed on it in San Francisco. It's two to ten times stronger than fentanyl. You ignore one problem, it's not going to solve itself. Uh, it's only going to get You're worse. dealing with multinational criminal organizations that, that are, that are that Fortune 500 level operations. Yeah. They have real labs behind this. Of course, that's right. Uh, the, by the way, the person in Philadelphia, one of the directors of public health in Philadelphia, said my message in a story I was reading on it, said my message to other cities is it's too late for us, but it's not too late for you. Don't let this happen Can, to can we city. come back with In the Air tonight? I think that should be the theme song for what we're talking about right now. <laughs> I'm Seth Leapson. He is Sam Stone. Sam Stone. Vote. Really active Twitter feed as well, at Sam the Paul. He, you say it Paul or Paul? Paul. P-O-L is how yeah. we spell it. Though. Little tongue-in-cheek, politico, politician, whatever you want to call Sam it. Sam the P-O-L. We'll be right back. The only reason we don't come back within the air tonight is because I have a general ban on Phil Collins here, so forgive that. Uh, well, I, I, okay. Yeah, just bear with me on this one. <laughs> well, come on. I mean, I get a lot of auto-tuning. <laughs> I am Seth Leapson. My guest is Sam Stone. He's a candidate for city council here in District 6. Most likely, most likely, if you're in earshot of this radio show right now, you have probably already gotten your ballot in the mail Uh, We are asking you to turn it around as soon as you get it because it's easy to set aside. It's easy to put aside. And I'm going to ask you the question I've been asking you for two weeks uh, uh, before we get back onto the fentanyl issue, uh, Sam, uh, which is talk about the Republican registration. And you know the numbers I want to hear from you. It's really it's really it's it's really motivating if people act. Yeah, folks, this is going to be a low turnout election. 
30,000 votes, maybe 50,000 at most cast. We had 110,000 cast in November. We have 44,000 Republicans in this district. 20, 25,000 Republicans come out. I win. 30,000 Republicans turn in their ballot, which is fewer than November. I win in a landslide. And so that's what we've got to be telling folks right now and just saying, hey, listen, this is when we've all got to be united. Even if you don't love me, folks, do you want some balance in the city of Phoenix or do you want a council that's driven by one party and one side where the only way to stand out is to go further and further and further left? That's San Francisco. That's New York. That is, you know, Chicago, Seattle, Portland. It's all the places with the worst problems right now. That's what they look like. Wall Street Journal today. I have it up in front of me. Two decades ago, the New York City Police Department attracted 20 applicants for every open position. But an exodus of officers that began in 2020 has today left the NYPD short 1,700 officers. In San Jose, California, applications to the force have fallen by two-thirds from three years ago. Chicago is losing two officers for each one that graduates from the police academy. This is why those cities are known for what they are now known for, which is nothing good. Yeah, and, and they've reached the point where they're not enforcing the law deliberately in a lot of areas, but then... Not even deliberately, they've just pulled back from some of the most dangerous communities, and you're leaving the people there to the mercy of the worst people in society. We can't allow that to happen. We need people who are going to stand up for the police here in Phoenix. Um, you know, my my opponent is a former cop, but in 2020, he was quick to embrace the anti-police protest movements while he was a professor at ASU, so... You know, I don't even know what the guy really believes. Former cop, current professor. Yeah. That tells you a lot. But, okay. but you know, at the end of the day, I do <laughs> My know. My old profession. I do know professor, what I believe. Cop, yeah. um, and, and I believe in standing behind our officers. When they make a mistake, you hold them accountable. When they do something out of malice, you make sure that they're punished. But other than those situations, you have to stand behind them. And you have to be willing to let them make mistakes in good faith, even when those have terrible consequences. I know that's a tough thing to talk about. We don't want to talk about that in society, but it's the fact. That job is deadly. They have to make split-second decisions all the time. And if we're second-guessing mistakes, which we keep doing in big ways, you can't attract people to that because they know if they if they have one millisecond error of judgment – they're coming under the hammer from all of our politicians. They're coming under the hammer from the legal system, which is being bent by those politicians. This is what has destroyed the Wrong. Memphis Police Department. And this is, they have lowered the standards. They have gotten exemptions from the training uh, requirements for police. I mean, this is what leads to that kind of um, that kind of horror, frankly. Yeah, no, like, I mean, there's a there's a, an, a retired officer who does some very funny Facebook shorts, short videos that I've been enjoying where he he did a little back and forth recruiting in 2022 versus recruiting in, you know, 1992. And and he's the recruiter in 92 is, you know, calling up this theoretical applicant going, uh, sir, we we uh, we like most of what you have to do, blah, 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 military service, all this kind of thing. But uh, we have a question. You got a D from Mrs. Clark in sixth grade uh, math. And she said your classroom behavior was not entirely up to up to par. So we're going to be calling Miss Clark, and we're not going to be able to prove you until we have a conversation with her about that. And versus twenty twenty two, they're like, so have you committed any felonies? Yeah, right. Oh, oh, you have. Okay, um, violent ones. Yeah. Oh, well, were you convicted? Right. 
Right. I mean, we've we've we reach a point where we're accepting officers who would not have been accepted even just a few years ago. Phoenix and Arizona have mostly held the line on our standard, but a lot of cities are are dropping it, and that's where you get really really unfortunate situations. You need the best applicants. You need to pay them right. You need to support them politically. You need to you need to back them one hundred percent. This is the I mean, the the impacts of this when I said earlier, people mostly commit crime on people who who live and look like themselves. So where do you think the impacts from this outrageous increase in crime and violent crime are coming? They're coming into the poorest neighborhoods. They're coming into minority neighborhoods. They're impacting them more than others. So everybody you say you're helping by this sort of anti-police movement, those are the people you're hurting. What's our shortage roughly given uh, Depends who you ask. If you ask the the current chief, they'll say about 800. If you ask the union, they'll say about 14. I I split the middle and call it 1,000. But, you know, we're 1,000 officers downward from where we were 20 years ago, 10 years ago. So with an expansion of population. With an expansion 20%. Yeah. And and we keep annexing stuff. So actually the city's getting physically bigger in the meantime. Yeah. So that means that even when you call 911 or even if, God forbid, you need the police, they're already at triage levels. They're already – which also explains some of the lack of policing and the justification for it in that homeless encampment that we were speaking it, of It's a huge well. issue. Um, right now 97% of our patrol division's time is spent responding directly to 911 calls. So that that leaves no time to, you know, patrol the streets, to be on the lookout for criminal activity going on. And so that's where you see the issues with the zone. That's where you see the issues we're having with speeding and reckless driving around here. I mean, there's so much that comes from not having officers. And you can't just mask it over with technology, which is what they're trying to do. I mean, look, I drive through Paradise Valley every day to and from my office I know where every speed camera they have there. They, they've got more of them than anybody. It's like every other light has one, right? Well, I know where they are. So does everybody else on that road because everyone's doing 50 through the intersections that don't have them and slowing down to doing exactly 40 through the ones that do. Look, this stuff, you have to have cops. That was the success of a lot of cities and, and municipalities that did have big crime waves. And it was a notion, I guess, compared to community police and where police weren't in active response to a 911 call. They were just sitting there or they were just roaming or even in some cases it wouldn't make sense in Phoenix, probably walking, but just driving through neighborhoods, showing a presence, just showing that there's a presence. And they are strapped on that ability right now. Yeah, they're really strapped on that ability. And, you know, I mean, it, look, if you're in one of these these communities where you have very high crime and you see an officer, flag them down, introduce yourself, get their card, tell them where your address is and ask them to come by now and then and just say hello. Help them build those communities. If you want community policing, help the police build community yeah. relationships. Yeah. If they, yeah, that's a great point. You want community policing, act like you're in a community. Yeah. Sam Stone is my guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Sam Stone's my guest. One of the things I like about Sam is he embraces the notion of be not afraid. He's not afraid because he's comfortable 
with what he knows. He's comfortable with what he's learned, and he's comfortable in speaking his mind. He's not a typical politician. He doesn't say what he thinks you want to hear. He says what he thinks you need to hear. And to that degree, he will walk into any room, any uh, crowd that will invite him, any audience that will, I should say, invite him. And uh, you're doing that tonight. You're going to a, you're going to a debate tonight that um, might not necessarily be the kind of place a lot of Republicans would say yes to or be invited to. Yeah, we we got a call at the campaign. I guess about a month ago, maybe a little bit more, um, from some folks at the NAACP of Arizona asking if we would participate in a debate that they would want to host with the League of Women Voters and 100 Black Women of Phoenix and. Um, we immediately said yes, and there was this long pause on the phone. They did not expect that. Oh, no, crud, he said yes, he's coming. It's been like a decade, I think, since a Republican yeah. agreed yeah. Uh, to hold to a debate that they were going to host. Look, I, I don't care who wants to hold the debate. I don't care what questions you want to ask. I'm going to be there. So we're going to be there tonight at the Hope Center downtown on Jefferson Street. Uh, it starts at 6. I think they are going to try to stream it via Facebook or something like that, and we'll have that up uh, on my social media, so you can tune into that if you'd like. Um, but no, look, I, I put no limitations on it. I didn't put any conditions on it. I don't care. I will go in there and answer any question they have. And some of the things I'm going to say to them, they're not going to enjoy. But I don't, I, I don't mind that. I mean, let's have an honest dialogue. Finally, let's stop with these eight-word slogans. Or I think we're getting more diminutive than that. Now we're down to like three-word slogans. Um, I hate that kind of politics, Seth. It's not worthy of the American people. It's no, it, not worthy of this country. No, it's not. And as a party or, an, or as a movement, uh, we're never going to grow unless we go into audiences that aren't initially or a priori in our favor. That's half the equation. The other half of the equation is Republicans, uh, we complain often, uh, I think fairly so and rightly so, that what people say about us is, is so very, very, very um, – unfair is not the word, it's slanderous. Uh, Mm -hmm. They have a misperception of us. Well, a little bit of that, not most of it, but a little bit of that is the reticence of candidates to go into communities that have never heard Republicans or have never seen Republicans. And I think if you want to dispel the notion of the slander that we're used to or the defamation that we're used to, as while you are evangelizing for the cause and the message, that's the only way we're going to get out of there. I think you should give one speech to an oppositional group for every five or two or three that you give to a favorable. Group. Oh, without any question, I, I would I would do more if I could. Good. I mean, I actually was telling a bunch of my supporters were saying they wanted to come to the debate tonight. And mm-hmm. I said, hey, look, obviously, I'm not telling you not to, but I, I'd rather actually you stayed home, watch it there. Let that room because everyone who would do that is going to be my supporter. They're already voting for me. So go ahead and send me the, you know, fill that room with people who are not voting for me. Right I've never now. heard from. And maybe I'm going to get a few yeah. of them before the end of tonight. Yeah. And you know, that's that's what it comes down to. I want the opportunity to talk to folks. I've never once hesitated. Every time we had a protest outside City Hall, I would actually go out. Uh, when I was the CCS chief of staff, I would actually go out and talk to them, um, no matter what they were protesting. And a lot of times, you know, there, there tend to be kind of these very organized left-leaning organizations that are doing this, and it's very controlled. Um, one of the things I don't like that they do is they'll actually try to wall off the protesters from anyone asking questions. So you'll always have like these leaders and marked shirts and things like that. And they will pull any of their their protesting people away from anyone who starts trying to ask them questions. They will only allow themselves to answer. Um, I don't love that. But I would still go out to talk to anyone I could and try to understand where they're coming from and try to gain a little bit of insight into how I can communicate with them in a way that may may break through the ice and break through the shell. 
And look, there's a lot of ways to do that. I, you know, environmental protest. I want clean air and clean water. I grew up on a farm. You know, if you want to ask somebody who about who, how much they care about the environment, talk to a farmer. They're totally dependent on the environment for their living. They're not trying to trash it. So I don't have a problem with the idea of environmentalism. I have a big problem with how the movement has been put together and the inconsistencies, the fact that they ignore the ills of mining in countries that have no controls for mining but oppose every mining project in this country. But let's go and have those conversations about that. Maybe we'll make things better for everybody. Help this man out. Uh, you can go to his website. It is samstone.vote. Follow him on Twitter, at Sam the Paul. I have a Phoenix accent, so I'll spell it, at Sam the P-O-L, Sam the Paul. Uh, he and I will be right back. I want to talk to you a little bit more about the conservative movement and the Republican Party and kind of your worldview, where you're coming from, where you get your, what we say in the old country, where you get your kishkis from. Sam and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I'm Seth, joined uh, in studio by Sam Stone, candidate for city council. He has the endorsement of Sal DeCicio. He has mine. He has a lot of people's. And I just want to talk about your worldview, Sam, so people can get to know you better. Joe Biden likes to go around ahistorically saying today's Republican Party is not your father's Republican Party. I'm looking at the announcements for president in the Republican Party over the last two weeks. We have uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. We have Nikki Haley. Tim Scott was making noises today. It may not be your father's Republican Party. It may be your grandfather's Republican Party. It may have been your, it may be your great-great-grandfather's Republican Party. Uh, we, are, we are an increasingly... Um, uh, we are an increasingly energetic and diverse party that is um, approaching conservatism probably best the way it was originally conceived when the, Repu- when the Republican Party founded itself in 1854. If you were a minority or if you were an ethnic um, immigrant to this country and you were looking for uh, political succor, political help, the one party you went to was the Republican Party. So tell the audience a little bit about why you count, why you count yourself a conservative, why you count yourself a Republican. Where do you get your worldview from? What oh. moves you? Wow, I, I think you should. We should have started this segment with Helter Skelter. Stop it, because uh, that—that's how I got here. Um, you know, look, um, my father was uh, for a time chairman of the California Democratic Party in the '60s before I was born. He helped lead the '68 walkout in Chicago. Um, then he later got disillusioned with the Democrat Party and went and helped found the Cato Institute with Ed Crane and some others. Quite a shift right there. Um, most of my family are, are fairly liberal at this point. I came to it because I like things that work and make sense. Um, so I had the experience of having tried to run a business in Phoenix and then having tried to run one Phoenix 30 years ago, 25 years ago, and about that same time, one in Tucson under under leadership the, you know, from the far That's left. Yeah. And, um, boy, there's no comparison. I mean, the the amount of hassle and the difficulty of operating a business under Democrat control, I mean, it was just vast. It, operating here was relatively easy. Everything we needed to do was straightforward, and there were nobody was trying to crack down on us just for wanting to make a profit. Um, add to that, then, I was a Democrat in my youth because I believe deeply in civil liberties, the Bill of Rights, civil rights, and... When I was very young, those were more the province of Democrats than they were of Republicans. 
then the Democratic Party, much like Reagan, it just shifted out from under me. It left those things behind. It replaced individual rights and liberties with this groupthink ideology, um, race-based, class-based, very Marxist in its origins. And look, I, I had the chance to visit Russia when it was still the Soviet Union and see how it worked, 1986, see how it worked and didn't. It doesn't work. I mean, it's it's a broken ideology that this is driving this stuff. And so for me, when they left civil rights behind, individual liberties, that was the break point for me. And I've become more and more conservative in my views over the years, maybe just sort of reactionary to that. The more that they throw away individual rights and liberties, the less they care about the Bill of Rights, freedom of speech, freedom of association, all of these things that we're talking about so often today, uh, Second Amendment also, right? Um, the further they go away from that, the more stringent I become on those things. And I try to find ground to reach across and talk to people about this. But at the end of the day, no society will ever function well without freedom of speech. No society will ever function well without a Bill of Rights. Look at what happened to us here in this country during covid we had some very difficult regimes put in place, some some significant restrictions. But compare that to many of the countries around the world that did not have a Bill of Rights to protect their citizens, where they really imposed totally unscientific measures on them that were, quite frankly, brutal. I mean, what China did to people is is just totally wrong. There's no circumstance in which you can justify the way they did that. Um, Australia, Canada. Canada. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've been following, but the, the, what's going on in Canada right now with their assisted suicide program is, right. is eugenics. Yeah. And it is it is horrific. And it really throws away the notion of individual rights. They're basically saying, hey, you're a drag on our medical system, so we're just going to stop caring for you and we'll give you a way for us to, to come and, and kill you and end your life so you're not a burden on your society anymore. My goodness. I mean, that is just that's evil. And I don't know how I mean, I don't know. I grew up, you know, upstate New York, near Canada. We used to go to Montreal all the time. It was a very sort of freewheeling, independent frontier mentality. It's gone. I, and I'm afraid that we'll head that way ourselves. If government becomes too pervasive, it's too easy to stop it, start excusing things that are inexcusable. It's an interesting uh coda, and I hope not epigraph, I hope coda, to our times that slowly and surely one of the major parties in this country, certainly animated by the left in this country, has imported the ideologies, uh, the twin toxic ideologies of that which we celebrated the defeat of, whether it was Nazism or what, excuse me, whether it was fascism or whether it was Marxism, Nazism or whether it was Marxism. And 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 we import it here almost almost without thinking of it slowly and surely. Uh, all the while we are called we are called the epithets representing that. But yeah, you look at what China did. You look at what China is doing to its own people, and their policies in importing those, as some people want to do, is certainly one thing. Their ideology is being imported uh, by the, by the seven forty seven. Yeah, the, the techno autocracy is just terrifying yeah. because it has the ability to really leach into parts of people's lives that the government didn't have before technology became as pervasive as it is. Um, but I would add, historically, Marxist ideology in its various forms, 
tends to be attractive to populations when they've had a long period of uninterrupted growth in good times that then gets hit with very severe financial shocks and people get scared and they they turn to this sort of paternalistic uh, system that is really very dangerous, but it sounds a lot better when you're scared than it does when people are, are confident in their future. Well, and this is what bothered me about the COVID thing. People make decisions based on fear. It's never a good decision. It's not no. a good decision when we make decisions based on fear in our personal lives, in our relationships, and it certainly isn't when it comes to the relationship to our community or our country. Every psychological study shows yep. that fear degrades the ability of people to uh, think and act logically. That's right. And that's what we see over and over again throughout history. And, and I'm really always really worried about those type of mass movements because they're, they are by nature irrational mm-hmm. and they're going to lead to less than rational results. And yep. that's what we're seeing right now. That's exactly right. Why do you think they represent cancel culture? They don't want us rational. No, it, Elon us. Musk is enemy number one simply right. because he allowed everyone on Twitter to have a voice again. That's exactly it's, right. It says everything you need to know. I'm going to take a quick commercial break and we'll come back with a concluding thought. Let me put in a word for a mutual friend of Sam's and mine, and that is why refi. You've heard me talking about them for a while now. If you still have some questions, they'd love for you to cut, get in touch with them. Give them a call where they can happily put you in touch with any number of their very set, very many satisfied customers from the Phoenix area who have invested with them and are doing quite well. Their number is 888. Y-Refi34, and they want me to ask you how your IRA is doing. If you'd like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or the Fed, then you need to understand that you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds, and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y dot com, or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34. Sam and I will be right back. Are we okay with redo of the Beatles a little bit, an upgrade to the Beatles? Sam Stone has been my guest this hour. Samstone.vote is his website. Help this very dedicated man out. And uh, Sam, I'll give you the last word this afternoon. Well, folks, I, ballots are out right now. If you live in Ahwatukee, Arcadia, Biltmore, uh, up into North Central, Sunny Slope area, uh, check and make sure if you haven't received your ballot, you you know you can go in and cast a ballot in person. Uh, March 11th, 13th, and 14th, the Saturday, Monday, Tuesday that week. Um, look, this is a battle for the future of Phoenix that we're in right now. Phoenix has always benefited from having bipartisan representation. We are one seat. You know, if we lose this seat, we're essentially one seat from that going away. And that's that's hard to turn around. So ask yourself, even if you don't love me, even if you don't love everything I stand for, maybe you want to consider having me on there anyway because, one, I'll bring some balance, and, two, I'm the only one who's talking about trying to squeeze money out of the things we already do and make them more efficient. So as I like to say, you may be the most progressive person in the world, my opponent ain't going to be able to help you because we're raising taxes as much as we can, literally a legal max tax increase every single year. There's no more money to spend. My goal is to go in there and make the things we do work better so that there is more money to spend on the things that matter to a lot of people here, like addressing homelessness, like building more low-income housing, doing things that we can all agree are good. So maybe maybe just reconsider a little bit making this a purely ideological vote and look at who's going to 
actually make things better in the city you live in. And I think there's a really clear difference when you when you look at it that way between my opponent and I. So go to samstone.vote. You can find your voting centers on there. You can get information. You can ask me anything. A phone number's on there. If you call, leave a message. I'll call you back. Um, or, or my uh, campaign manager, Jamie, will, because I'm now buried and running 14 hours a day, six and a half days a week, and barely able to sleep. But I love every minute of it. Thank you to all the people supporting us. It's been fantastic. Well, thank you for doing this, Sam. I don't mean coming in. I mean, thank you for running for us. No, thank you for having me come in because I really enjoy these conversations. Well, we need you, and uh, you have you have our, our full-throated and full uh, full full backing, uh, full-throated support and full backing. Um, folks, samstone.vote is the website. And uh, until tomorrow, I'm Seth Liebson. God bless you all. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.